So about a week ago, John Boehner made news for doing something very unusual. He decided to resign his post as the Speaker of the House of Representatives. John Boehner is a man who has worked his entire life to get to the place where he is in his career. He, let's not forget, is third in line, God forbid, for the presidency. Should something happen, that was not a political statement. That was just, you know, I hope that our president and our vice president stay healthy. But he is third in line for the presidency. He's worked his entire life to rise to this place. And according to all the news accounts, I think he said this himself in the press conference, he went to bed last Thursday night, the night before he made this announcement. And he turned to his wife and he said, you know, I might just make an announcement tomorrow. That was it. And then he called a press conference on Friday and he said he'll be gone by the end of this month out of his position and out of Congress entirely after a lifetime of public service. No one has done this in the last 30 years. This is not normal. There are very few stories, if you think about it, in American politics of people willingly giving up their power that they've fought so hard for. I'm a little bit of a skeptic, and uh, I admit that my first reaction when I heard this news was to hit refresh a couple times on CNN.com. Say, okay, where's the breaking news of the scandal? Right? What's the real story here? It's been about a week. We haven't heard anything yet. So far, it seems like what John Boehner has said and what the pundits are all saying might be true. He quit because it just wasn't working. His leadership, what he was doing, it just wasn't working for him. And he was ready in that moment to let it go. Now, part of why I'm tempted to believe this, coming from John Boehner in particular, is because he's also known for doing this. Yes, he is known for crying in public. Also unusual for a public figure in America. He's known for showing emotion. In fact, the day before his announcement, he fulfilled what by all accounts was a 20-year dream of his as a devout Catholic. He brought the Pope to speak before Congress. And he wept openly as the Pope spoke. As Pope Francis talked to him and all of his colleagues. So I have a confession to make about myself. Male tears are my kryptonite. I mean that in an entirely positive way, by the way. Nothing makes my heart softer and squishier. Nothing opens my heart up to compassion and care more than a man who's willing to cry in public. It's true, because men, and I know that some of you know this, and some of you have lived this, are so deeply conditioned not to cry. Men are so deeply conditioned not to show any emotion that can be read as weakness or vulnerability in front of other people. I was talking to a friend about this recently, and I was trying to kind of get at this, because it sounds weird when you say that you really love it when men cry, 
right? (laughs) That doesn't sound like a good thing. I was trying to explain the irrational, immeasurable joy that this fills me with. And I said, no, you don't understand. Every time middle-aged men show tender emotions in my presence, it's like this little patriarchy-resisting angel in my head gets its wings. It's beautiful. (laughs) The walls between us break down when we can show what's really going on underneath the surface. That's the only way that we can connect with each other. The song that we just heard has a refrain that many of us have heard a million times. Don't you weep. Don't cry. We may have said this to each other. We may have said this to our children. Our children may have said this to us. I know that I've said it. We say it for very well-meaning reasons. Don't cry. It's okay. You're loved. We say it because we want to encourage hope. And we say it because we want to make it better for the people that we care about. But when we hear, don't cry, and don't you weep over and over again, we can internalize that sometimes. I know that I find that even though no one's saying it to me anymore, for the most part, I can say it to myself sometimes. I get into certain situations where all I hear in my head as those tears start to well up is, pull it together, Paxula, right? Don't fall apart. Don't lose it. Not right now. Not in front of these people. Anybody else been there? Anybody been there this week? Yeah. You know, when I was still in the middle of my ministry training, I had an experience of this during a job interview. I was interviewing for a summer chaplaincy job. Being a chaplain is something that all ministers are required to do for about three months. We work in a hospital setting or a hospice or a rehab center with people who are very sick and dying. And so I needed this job to move forward in my path, and I sent in my application, which for a job like this is very thorough. My application required me to write a biographical account of my life. Boy, that's intimidating. Trust me, when you see a job application that says, please provide a brief biographical account of your life, 600 words (laughs) or something. I had to talk about my home life growing up. I had to talk a little bit about my relationships with different family members. I had to talk about any trauma or loss that I'd experienced in my life thus far. And so I sent in that application. I got called for an interview. I put on my big girl suit and heels, right? I hop on the train from Harvard Divinity School where I was going to school and I come down to Philadelphia And I walk into the interview room at the hospital of the University of Pennsylvania where there are three men in suits, all experienced chaplains, sitting down in front of me. And they start peppering me with questions. I will never forget about 20 minutes into this interview, one of the chaplains who would end up being my supervisor 
He looked down again at my application. He said, Lee, I've read your biographical statement. And I have to tell you, it was powerful. You're a very good, vivid, clear writer. I said, thank you. But then he looked up. He looked me right in the eye. He said, but Lee, you've been through some shit. Not what I expected to hear. You've been through some shit. I felt the lump in my throat in that moment. I'd been seen. The stinging started up here in my sinuses, trickling down my nasal passages. I knew what was coming. The tears started to well up in my eyes. I tried to hold his gaze coolly and calmly. But I'll tell you, ministers and chaplains, we are annoying as hell. We see all of that. And I knew that he saw everything that was going on. And I thought, God damn it, there goes this interview. (laughs) Anybody see a league of their own with Tom Hanks? All the baseball players, right? There's no crying in baseball, ladies. Well, somewhere along the line, I'd picked up the idea that there's no crying in job interviews. That's not usually on that tip list of things you should do, right, to get the job that you're going for. I really tried. I tried to hold it back. I took a couple deep breaths. I tried to calm myself, but the tears started rolling down my cheeks. My voice broke. My face was all flushed. I did the only thing I knew how to do. I said, yep. (laughs) And we kept talking. About another 10, 15 minutes passed, and as the interview came to a close, he offered me the job right on the spot. He wasn't actually even supposed to do that. (laughs) His colleagues looked at him like, we're supposed to talk about this first. I learned something really important that day. One, that ministry is a very weird career. But more importantly, I learned that I can fall down. I can fall down in front of other people. We can all fall down once or twice or three times or seven times or 70 times. It's not going to be over. It's not going to be the end. There's a professor at Warren Wilson College in North Carolina named Mallory McDuff. She wrote a blog post that was going around on the Internet this week called Why I Cry in Church. Now, this is an accomplished woman. She's a professor of environmental studies. She's a mother. She talks about how she's someone who always has it all together, right? People envy her position in life in all different kinds of ways. And she holds it together except for the Sunday morning time when she sits in that pew or that chair at church. She says there are so few places where we can bring our raw emotions without 
a self-conscious need to explain or escape to the nearest bathroom, which is what happens when we get teary-eyed at work or in line at the Home Depot. So often the world sees us cry, and that immediate response is don't cry, whether it's from inside or outside. Well-meaning people, people who love us, people who care about us, don't want to see us sad. They want to fix what's wrong. Or maybe they want to avoid those tears in themselves. Maybe they don't want to think about their own vulnerability, their own fear of falling down or falling apart. I know that when I find myself in a public place, like the line at Home Depot or work or the coffee shop, I usually fall into that fight or flight kind of response, right? I try to escape, I run off to the bathroom, or I try to offer those explanations, right? If people catch me in tears, oh, I'm okay, it's all right. It's just allergies. Allergies are so convenient, right? It's just allergies. I'm just hormonal right now. No big deal. No. Bullshit. (laughs) We're sad. Or we're scared. Or we're hurt. Or all three sometimes. It's taken me a very long time to realize that our tears are actually a gift to us in those moments. They're a reflex. They're healing. When we were kids, some of us tried to hold our breath to throw a tantrum, right? Maybe some of you did that. It doesn't work. Your body fights to keep you alive. Even if you have the willpower to hold your breath in that tantrum, you're going to pass out and you're going to start breathing again. Tears work the same way. Tears are the way that our body tells us, sorry, you can't kill yourself like this. You can't deaden all of those things that you feel. You cannot numb out completely. And thank God for that. Our tears release our sadness. They can connect us by provoking that compassion or that care in another person. They actually chemically do things in our bodies and in our bloodstreams. They release stress hormones. They contain endorphins, natural painkillers, mood boosters that go into our bloodstream when that response is triggered and we start to cry. And most importantly, they remind us that we are not machines. We are not cold and impenetrable fortresses. We are soft, loving, beautiful, heart-beating, breathing human beings. Mallory McDuff says, Perhaps church is one of those last safe havens where we can cry in public. For no reason. As if given permission to be our vulnerable selves, 
Not the mom or dad who makes breakfast at 6.30 every morning, runs four miles by 9 a.m., teaches college again until 5 p.m., and then becomes a parent all over again, or a spouse, or a caregiver, or honestly just an adult, right, which is hard enough some days, just taking care of ourselves We can cry. We can fall down. We can let go when it just isn't working. And it won't all be over. There's a Buddhist teacher in New York City named Lodro Rinsler. This is him. His second book, I think, right there is Walk Like a Buddha, but his first book was called The Buddha Walks Into a Bar, which totally sold me on him. He writes about what Buddhism has to say about some things that Buddhism often doesn't talk about in a lot of the other things I read. He talks about what Buddhism has to say about things like dating, relationships, drinking, socializing with friends, And he was giving a talk recently that I listened to about falling in love, about that point in a relationship, whether it's romantic or some other kind of relationship, but that point where we feel ourselves opening up to another person. And he he says falling in love is not um, a given, right? That word falling, why did we invent it that way? We don't need to say falling in love. We could say I strolled into love. We could say I did a little hop to the side into love. Honestly, there's a lot more fun ways we could describe what that is. But we don't. We say I fall. I fell. Like we're standing on a cliff and we just sort of go without any expectation or implication in that phrase that we're going to land somewhere even. And ideally, this person that you're falling in love with does that with you. So something that sounds very scary is actually quite liberating because you're doing it together. You continue to fall together. He says, we fall in love Not because we want to claim or own another person, but because we found a partner who allows us to flourish. We let ourselves fall because we realize we need someone. We let ourselves fall because we realize we can't do it all by ourselves. We let ourselves fall when we realize that we are going to be better together than any one of us could be on our own. So I want to close this message by taking us back to the title of this fall's message series, The Watershed. What is a watershed, really? We all know the word. We've seen the signs. That gives you a little bit of a sense of it. It's a huge concept to try to wrap your head around, the watershed. I looked it up. I got the official definition from the EPA. I want to read it to you. 
A watershed is the area of land within which all living things are inextricably linked by their common watercourse. And where, as human beings settled, simple logic demanded that they become part of a community. I read that to somebody else at Wellsprings. She said, get the hell out of here. That's on a government website. (laughs) It's poetry. The watershed is land that calls us to relationship with each other. The watershed is a place that calls us together because of the way the water flows. We are called into a watershed because simple logic demands it. The evidently clear movement of the spirit of survival to sustain life. Keep us going. And all of that depends not on our ability to have our shit together or our solidness or our invulnerability. It depends on the exact opposite. It depends on the flow of the water, of our blood, of our tears, of our breath. It depends on movement and change. When Reverend Ken started this message series two weeks ago, he talked about how the water right, oh, go back, the water right up top there from the ice starts to melt. And it starts to move in the narrowest of little places, just wide enough. It doesn't need a master plan or a lot of will or a lot of purpose or a lot of building. It's actually the simple force of gravity. It's actually what pulls us down and softens us up. That starts these huge, beautiful rivers flowing. And because the willingness of the water to surrender like that because of the water's humility and flexibility and patience we can all create something bigger together that water falls in love just like us when we fall when we cry our bodies are returning to the water that's already inside of us. All of it falling together with all of the new streams that join us along the way. Changing, but never over. And what a sad, scary, bewildering, blessed adventure It is to roll down the mountain together. To not quite know what's next around the river bend. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of our hearts, spirit of everything that moves and changes in our lives, 
Holy One, we cannot see what's coming. We want to. We wish that we knew. Sometimes it seems like life would be so much easier if it all unfolded the way we had it in our day planners. But in the meantime, we are grateful that there's a force that pulls us down and that pulls us together. Force that is bigger than our own doing. That always seems to come in right when we need it. Sad and scared sometimes and hurt. But it doesn't seem to care. It's here for us no matter what we do, no matter how we feel. We are grateful for that force today. For all the ways that it has connected us and continues to remind us each that none of us does this alone. For these prayers spoken aloud and also for the prayers that every person in this room carries on their hearts this morning, we say amen.